the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. There's a Sunday school announcement, and I got your attention. So I'll hand it to Amanda. You better turn that on. There you go. All right. Hi, guys. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Amanda Probst, and I'm one of the Sunday school superintendents. And I just wanted to kind of make a quick announcement. There are still availability to teach summer Sunday school. All the lessons are prepared. If you would like to do that, they're always in the uh, Sunday school office. But also, um, this coming fall, we're starting to look for Sunday school teachers again. So if you are interested, please let me know. Um, my email is in the announcements um, and the newsletter, so you can get a hold of me that way. Or if you know anybody who would be interested in teaching or helping or subbing, um, just let me know. Thanks. Okay. And while Pastor McKay's still getting wired up, um, I have a note. This is sort of non-traditional, but I'm going to do it. Um, it says Maine lobsters, and then it says small ones, and now we know the pecking order of the congregation. Dear Juanita, pastors and members, <laughs> praise the morning rain, which was the first rain of our visit. Our daughter from Scotland labored mightily in elevated humidity to plant on hands and knees a row of annual flowering plants. Um, guess as to who this is from? Ralph Gardner, yeah. I repeat, enjoying giving thanks for the rain today. Everyone with baggage arrived safely and on time. Yesterday at a local school, um, which teaches orchestra conductors, if Megan's here, we should have gone there, um, we attended a free children's concert. They performed Peter and the Wolf with astonishing effect. Ralph and Mary Alice Gardner, so... While they were gone and away, they were thinking of us, and it said to members, so I thought we'd better read it. So there you go. And Let me go first? Yeah, but okay. Let's pray first, shall we? The Lord be with you. Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, and nourish us with all goodness. And of your great mercy, keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Uh, most of you know Pastor Grady and uh, his wonderful wife, Deb, were in Florida this last week, although it was not vacation. Um, uh, Pastor Grady was uh, uh, appointed, elected, shoved, pushed. <laughs> Is any of that accurate? I was the alternate, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so he served as the voting delegate, the pastoral delegate, uh, for our 2019 LCMS National Convention. Uh, our National Convention, our Synod, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, meets every three years. Uh, technically, that's the only time the Synod exists. So follow up with me on that, and I'll explain more history to you some other time. Um, but uh, So he went down there, and he was voting all week, and uh, I asked him uh, just briefly if he would be willing to give a little bit of a summary of what transpired this last week, 
Um, and uh, of course, he was driving at the time, and I said, well, I said, I have a, a summary written by a, another pastor friend of mine. His name is Reverend Jared Hartman. Uh, he was actually in Florida for a while, and now he's in Nebraska, and he put together just a little one-page summary, and Pastor Grady said, ooh, I like that summary. How about if I just add my you know, thoughts in, with, in line with his summary? And so we felt it was important as pastors to at least give you an update on what happened within our denomination this last week, um, and uh, the good news is um, nothing major has changed. Is that right? Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, okay. No, all right. No big, well, I don't want to steal your thunder. So huge shifts. Yeah. Okay. I gave you an opportunity there to say something funny. Oh. Okay. No, I didn't. I don't do that. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to read from this one. Uh, Let me get it up there. Hold on. If you want to. If you don't want to. Services and sermons were good to excellent. I agree. Liturgy and music mostly colored inside the lines, if you will. I generally think Cantor Hildebrand's stuff is a bit more towards a confessional liturgical bend than Cantor Manganus. Yes, definitely so. Uh, who is an excellent musician but tends to be a little blendy? Uh, my definition of that, he seems attuned to contemporary worship. Um, let's so the see. worship at convention was good? It was, it was good. We, we would approve? We would approve. We would overall. like it? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, there was, next line, there was a lot to be learned about missionaries and a lot of uh, very interesting things there, things going on. Uh, essays were good. Um, I don't recall this one in particular. My brain is mush, but there were uh, daily essays on uh, joyfully Lutheran topics, which were great. Um, the commercials for different organizations, good, except for the Lutheran Hour, uh, which implied that God has sent every Christian to be a minister of the gospel. You know, that is true. We are sent to tell others about Christ, but you've got to be careful with the word minister because the ministry, the office of public ministry, belongs to ordained called pastors, but there is the priesthood of all believers and your ability to forgive your neighbors and, and whatnot, but um, you don't want to... You don't want to, I was talking to Adam Debner yesterday on the phone, by the way, and he sends his love and prays for you all and asks for your prayers as he is in the uh, left-leaning state of California. Um, but his point on this and another point was that uh, if, you, if everybody's a minister, you, you risk taking away the office of the pastor to forgive sins in the stead of Christ and to have that sure... Um, Forgiveness is Jesus has given it in the Bible to, to the pastoral office. So, um, let's see. South African fellowship recognition was the most embarrassing thing I have witnessed since my ordination. That's his words, not mine. Uh, the poor bishop had to watch the whole thing. It, it was kind of awkward. Evidently, there's some things going on in the African uh, Lutheran churches, uh, two of which were well, are in... Uh, at this time, uh, altar public fellowship with us. This other one was being brought in, and evidently there's some, for lack of a better word, tribalism things going on between them. Uh, After being at our convention, I got to wonder if we don't have as much as they have, you know, within our synod, between uh, some of our left-leaning versus right-leaning churches. So they never spoke to really what was going on. Uh, and what this was, but it, it was kind of an uncomfortable thing to see. So um, just, just to summarize, we, we have uh, 
joined an altar and pulpit fellowship with a with a three additional one additional two are already in one two of them we already were in fellowship right. with so a new one that's in South Africa somewhere yeah. and between themselves they see some things a little differently but on the LCMS page LCMS page they see things the same so on our page everybody's the same but on other pages they're kind of here and there so but they didn't go into what um, that is embarrassing uh, the most uncomfortable was uh, speaking to the situation of closing of uh, Concordia Selma and uh, train wreck does that right um, there was uh, hurt and accusations of everything from dishonesty to systemic racism in the LCMS uh, well, I'm going I'm to up, up, up to you there they may not have any idea about what's Selma is or what it means. So. Selma uh, Concordia in the South uh, has been a, or was a traditionally um, black uh, Lutheran Concordia school. And it was, uh, would you say it was born out of um, the elementary and high school education that was started uh, in the days of uh, segregation to afford kids a decent school. And this college grew out of that, and in the past decade, decades, it just ran into all kinds of financial trouble. Um, they, I think, I'd have to pull the, part of the problem was they brought a resolution for, forward to give thanks for Selma and Concordia. And within the resolution, they had all the reasons why it closed. That did not go over too well. Um, but someone asked off the floor, is there anything in here that's not true? And they're like, no. So the facts that were in evidence was, you know, Selma went down as, as a business decision. It was just losing tons of money as a college and couldn't be financially supported uh, by the LCMS any longer. Um, so, so, in, so in summary, Concordia University in Selma, Alabama, um, severely in the red, uh, bleeding money along with a, a quite a debt load. Yeah, and I want to say so that was $6 million was, a year. That was closed down in the last couple of years. I don't remember exactly when. Uh, maybe even this past year. Okay. It, but the, the, some of the thing was, well, it happened so fast. It happened so suddenly, and they were all shocked. Well, for a decade, people knew there were problems, and, and one of the presidium or the people on this committee brought forth that you can't be public with, gee, we're having problems and we just might close. The decision to close any business right. comes fast. Okay. You know, otherwise you're just exposing all your financials and the problems and well, who's gonna wanna go to school there? Your, your effort of turning around, your possibility of turning around if you start talking about closing. You know, I'm not signing up for four years at a nursing school that's uh, thinking about shutting its doors maybe in a year, two years. You know, you wanna be someplace you can finish a program. So. Yeah, it seemed like it happened fast and suddenly, but that's the way those things go. Um, so, yeah, that just, just was not going to go well at all. Uh, and my take, it was excruciatingly uncomfortable and not well thought out. Uh, so, just as with the closing of school, there'd be no emotional win in this resolution, just an opportunity for discomfort on all sides. Uh, it seems that Selma was a wise business decision with huge emotional impacts on those who were in, invested in the institu institution emotionally. 
Uh, one of the ones I found most interesting was uh, SMP resolution. There are, uh, and I sort of reworded his things, but there many are not fans of SMP, think it should go away, believing it is woefully deficient in the face of our excellent seminaries and the riches of our constituency. Um, it's, it has been used to, to rush some guys through and put them into uh, uh, full pastoral ministry where they're really not supervised to a great extent. Um, it's also been used to get guys ordained that are already doing ministry under lay deacon programs where they aren't ordained. So in some ways, you know, they're trying to now use it for that benefit. But it does suffer from a lack of... Uh, of enough education. And I had talked to Dr. Rast about this after this vote and everything went down. And, and within this resolution was to not have SMP ordained until um, they finish their four years. And the way the program is now, you ordain two years into a four-year program. The entirety of that four-year program only has one-third of the credits of a residential MDiv. So you're down to one-sixth. Maybe, you know, that, that, let's see, an eighth. Well, in, in classroom time, that's a half a year on campus. It's all the credit hours you've got in. To and be ordained. To be ordained. And so they got all, some of the delegates got all wrapped around the axles of, well, no, we can't do this. We have to ordain these guys, blah, blah, blah. And granted, this resolution has no teeth. It's a recommendation. You know, we recommend that. And I, and I told Dr. Rest, I said, seems like they got their, axles wrapped around the wrong thing because within that also was to encourage um, the seminaries to require languages, Greek and Hebrew. And I'm like, that's going to be the tough one for S&P guys, a lot of them who are older my age or whatnot. Um, so, but they didn't talk about that at all. So I kind of struck me as funny, but the resolution did pass and they, and they are encouraged to look at uh, this ordination issue and maybe holding off until S&Ps finish their full four years, which is what I did here with you guys. I was not ordained until the whole thing was done. And I also did alternate route, which was another uh, another third of the classwork toward an MDiv. So I did not do uh, Hebrew and uh, Greek did me. So um, <laughs> let's see. Many are thankful for overwhelmingly positive outcomes dealing with six-day creation, abortion, marriage, and family. A lot of resolutions to affirm what we all believe in those. Um, I guess Portland, Concordia Portland, uh, President Harrison is withholding uh, assignment of a president from them until they get their act cleaned up, and we did send them a couple uh, confessional regents to be on their board. So. Uh, hopefully that will work. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about the Concordia Portland situation in here in the last yeah. six months. I presented a paper from an emeritus professor that talked about well, we were, that was about abortion, was or no? Yeah, life, sexuality, mm -hmm. life issues. So yeah, I don't know if they still have it up on the website. They they used to have a big LGB. I can't I don't even know all the initials for that. Um, LGBTQ, XYRZ. Yeah, um, <clears throat> they used to have a big banner up on their website. I don't know if they still do. Maybe it's been taken down since convention. Know. That's been a real interesting thing. Uh, he wrote, I think I was unprepared for how nasty the parliamentary reindeer games would be, <laughs> as it was my first synod convention. Um, 
The, uh, I'll just jump down to the bottom of that. There was a good bit of positioning going on, and it could be seen even as people questioned the floor rules during the orientation on Saturday before the conference officially began. Kind of, well, so if I make a motion here, then that kills this, or, you know, they were just, you could see they were trying to figure out how to get things off the table or whatever. Um, so you tell there were some wheels turning as to how to get it their way. It is politics, and unfortunately it runs deep. Um, his line here, after 30% of the Senate voted to abolish the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery, things got more hostile. Um, well, we did vote to affirm the Sixth Commandment and uh, many other things. They got uh, wrapped around the axles on the idea of uh, creation being in six days and calling it a natural six days saying, well, natural isn't in the Bible. Can we just stick to what's in the Bible? Um, however, the understanding of natural being six 24-hour days in a row, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh day rested, when you say natural, and, and um, you know, Moses uh, wrote it knowing what a day was. And uh, so we take that a, a day to be a day. And not, well, there was a day, and then there was two million years between where all the primordial muck congealed and formed some little animal that crawled out. You know, no. God created in days. Um, so the natural aspect stayed. The debate on that went down and was voted down to remove it. Uh, so natural stayed, and, and uh, that you would have had some people vote against because they didn't want the word natural. I don't know that they were entirely against the idea of a six-day creation. I think there was probably something similar in uh, the Sixth Commandment language, but uh, I didn't actually note that 30% on that one. Um, Question, Pastor Gray. Yes. Unfortunately, I can't, and I'll have to look back and see what that was. I mean, they, you know, there were several things in some of these resolutions, and they could have been wrapped around, you know, one sticking point. Um, I, I, there was no overwhelming. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, there was no overwhelming liberal bent within there um, uh, that I recall in the debate on that. Um, but I mean, there, they, these were resolutions to affirm, you know creation as it is in the Bible, to affirm family, uh, marriage, uh, you know, just whole order of creation things. Um, so I'd have to look back and see exactly what the, what the issue was there that they might have had. Um, um, I'm up on the way. You can go to the website here if you want to search any of these. It's lcms.org slash convention, and you can go through all the different floor committees. So here like 411A, 157 people voted against closed communion. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking for the one. Do you remember what that was under? Um, I do not. What committee? No, and I don't have my... Uh, National witness, maybe? Could be. I don't, I don't see it. Yes. Number five. Well, I, I think there are those that would like to you know, have some of that um, historical, critical method in there still. Uh, but uh, Harrison is not standing for that. And 
with the assignment of the regents, they put at the Concordias, they're not standing for that. Um, and same thing with uh, those that I think went to St. Louis Seminary. So uh, with uh, President Meyer leaving the, uh, retiring from the St. Louis Sem, you know, there'll, there'll probably be a few fireworks there uh, in terms of you know, assigning a new president there. Uh, but uh, there are some things that need to still be addressed. I know one of my uh, professors, I think, once said that the problem with Seminex was is that they just didn't clean house well enough. And so there still remains uh, some voices there that are, you know, of the more liberal side of interpretation. So, but overall, I, w I would say the convention was uh, more headed down the right path. The, the voices that were trying to uh, bring forth uh, more liberal ideology and, and some of these things, um, you know, were kind of looked at like, okay, you've made enough noise. Uh, you know, some people I think were wearing the button out on their little cue device to cue in line for things. But uh, overall, I think uh, things were voted uh, overall conservatively and keeping us down the right path, if you will. But uh, as Pastor Debner said, you know, this, the West Coast is just a whole different ballgame out there. And, you know, they, they want to have uh, lay deacons and unordained people, you know, just doing word and sacrament ministry. And they're just all for it in, in many ways. And then, uh, just the, the nature of the beast out there. So, so there, there is still some fights, and it might seem more regionally than nationally, I guess. I think that's it. That yeah. it. So. And we didn't write that last sentence. If there's any lawyers here. No, I didn't write that. That was him. That, that, I just took that to mean they did their job. They did their job. Yeah. Right. And, and and it was good to have them there because they did bring some clarity to where some people wanted to change something. They're like, yeah, no, you can't do that because that'll just send us down a road you don't want to be going. So. Yeah. Any other questions? No. Okay. Who wants to run the laptop for 30 minutes? You can do it? Okay. Um, church governance type stuff, and this is the reason why sometimes a lot of people don't like to come to voters' meetings, and I totally get it. Um, and that's why it's important to be well organized and structured. It's also important to get your information communicated as early as possible so you don't hit people with brand new stuff right when they show up. Um, and so that, that's one of the things I've talked with our leaders about that, uh, uh, I mean, we've been pretty peaceful here the last eight, 10 years, is that fair? But you had some wing dingers of voter meeting before that for some of you uh, people been around, right? So I'm not poking the bear, I'm just saying that, that it's important to do some of that work as much as you can ahead of time. Um, and so one of the things that you'll hear from me down the road is trying to get some of that information out so we can have some of those discussions and that sort of thing. And the other thing, unfortunately, is just we're sinners. And uh, just as you might lose your temper at home uh, with your husband or your wife or your kids or your boss or whoever cut you off on 465 right before the orange cones, that are right before the split. 
and now I've said too much information. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so, you know, so uh, be willing to be forgiving and be gracious as much as you can and be patient sometimes with people, and that's hard. So if you have any interest in, you know, what's going on in the wider church, come talk to us as pastors. Uh, there's always a need for lay people to be involved in some of those things. Um, and our denomination is always looking for people to serve on committees, I mean, boards, do work on the side. So if you're really passionate about a certain topic and you have some gifts to offer, please, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find a place for you to, to gladly and joyfully serve. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing, okay? Um, you know, the other big thing that really didn't kind of get mentioned in this uh, that, that I wanted to at least highlight was a big push to extend more voting rights to advisory members of synod, okay? So the way our synod historically is established is equal representation for the parishes, right? For us, everything is altar, pulpit, and font. Make sense? So the, the goal when the Missouri Synod was, was first established is that each parish would be represented. Can anybody tell me how each parish is normally represented? When you come to like circuit meetings or church meetings, who gets elected to represent Advent Lutheran Church when it comes to church business? It's two people. One, of the, one pastor, doesn't matter how many pastors you have, you could have eight pastors, only one, and one lay, one, one lay person, one non-ordained person. That non-ordained person can be a teacher, could be a DC, uh, could be any other person in the congregation. And so there's always been this balance. It's a, it's a balance, if you will, so that the pastors don't, you know, get to, or we're, we're the pastors, <laughs> you know, and the lay people don't get to, or we're the lay people, right? So there's always kind of this balance. And then from there, that goes to circuit. Circuit then elects one pastor and one lay person, and they go to convention. And so one of the things that we've been hearing a little bit uh, more out of is that say you've got larger churches that have not only larger membership, but they've got a bunch of staff. Well, you know, when you've got a staff of, say, 20 or 50, um, you think there's a little more opinions there? And so now part of the challenge is uh, some of the advisory members that would be teachers, DCEs, you can fill in the blank, there's a number of different, uh, say even if someone is called to be a music director, uh, you know, youth director, that sort of thing, uh, family life minister, that's a new one that's been going around, um, that they want to be able to have voting rights. Well, their path for voting rights is to become a lay person, or to get the lay vote, right? Um, so, so that was a, pu a big push at convention this year to try and extend that. Um, I'm not sure what's going to come out of that because if we make some changes to how we take all the votes, it's going to kind of upset the apple cart, and it'll basically give more power or authority to larger parishes. Does that make sense? And it'll take it away from the smaller parishes which the average size of a Missouri Synod congregation, does anybody know what the average size is? It's actually 150. 150 is the average size of a Missouri Synod congregation, somewhere around there. 
average age of a Missouri Synod congregation? You know what the average age in the LCMS is right now? I think we're sitting at like 39, by the way. I had it in my report. Yes? It's actually 46. So it's not as, as, it's, it's not as, as, as high as you might think it is, okay? So when people start quoting statistics, make sure you double check some of that, okay? Yep? One resolution that did pass that uh, maybe spoke to the willingness, willingness to do this was uh, uh, in relation to congregations that have more than one site. Um, this would be like our brothers and sisters at Cornerstone where they have multiple sites, but right. they're considered one parish. Yeah. And so the, a resolution passed that they, regardless of number of sites, they get one pastor and one lay delegate, right. and that's it. They don't get a pastor per site or anything yep, like that. Unless they become so, independent congregations. Yeah, so, yep. so there, there is a very strong side of that that says, let's keep this the way it is. Right. Um, so. so you get outside of the larger city area, and there's a lot of churches that are dual parish or tri-parish, and, and they basically have the same thing. They don't, they don't get to vote as three different, if, they, if they've joined together and they share a pastor or even pastors, if they have an agreement, they function as one body before the synod. Does that make sense? Um, and so that's become, you know, another little, you know, kind of issue in the past. But to be honest with you, it kind of all works out if you're a numbers cruncher. Um, and that's why we've got some, we got some good people that love to do that. that that's not me. I don't think that's you either. So, um, Okay, any other questions about convention? Um, go online, somebody asked a question about the, the resolution on sexuality, dig that up um, uh, and uh, go through the, what was it called, today's business. That, where I would actually start, if you're really curious, is go back and look, there's only five or six, seven days, read the summary of the day before. That'd be the best way of doing that, of just looking at that. If you have any questions, email us or call us and look at the minutes. Yep. And if you get the reporter, um, if you're subscribed to that, and we, I think we, we put a copy or two out here, don't we? Um, I'm sure there'll be some summaries coming up on that as well. So, okay. Question or just chicken wing stretching? Okay. Okay. Any, any other questions for, uh, on anything else before we get into our study? Okay. For those of you that have been listening online, I uh, hope you learned a little something. Uh, but uh, let's get back into our Bible study, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People, uh, from Professor Marquardt. We are on page 66, um, and I'm going to pick up here where it says, if even St. Paul, this is going to be the second uh, full paragraph, uh, they're kind of in the middle of the page. Uh, we covered this uh, last week, but I want to review that before we finish this chapter. So if even St. Paul had to confess to his intense struggle against his sinful flesh... How can any of us lesser Christians imagine ourselves to have surpassed the great apostle in holiness, right? So St. Paul simply says, the good I want to do, I don't do. Uh, the, the bad that I don't want to do, I keep on doing, right? Who can save me? Who can rescue me from this body of death, okay? So we have very clearly from Scripture, again, and sorry to uh, hopefully not beat a dead horse here for you, but uh, Scripture clearly teaches that we are both a sinner and a saint at the same time. So the past three, four Sundays in late service people, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again at the late service a little bit. Uh, we talk a little bit about the use of the law uh, and how that's needed for us as sinners and how it's also now a guide to teach and train by the power of the Holy Spirit, mind you, the new man. 
okay? Uh, and think of it this way, you know, Jesus, when he was a baby, uh, because he was God, did he know how to read and write? What do you think? Did he pop out of Mary's womb, um, you know, fully able to hop into the woodshed with, uh, you know, Joseph and, and operate the chop saw? No. I mean, you know, so Jesus, the Son of God, even had to learn things as he developed. Now, he was without sin, totally different from you and me. But you and I now are being, and this is a direct quote from Scripture, trained for righteousness. So we are growing in good works. We are growing in learning what righteousness is. Um, and that's why Paul goes on to talk about, you know, the childish things. I put some of that behind, right? So one of my kids that will remain nameless came to me this last week and told me about some stupid prank that one of their friends in high school did. And they weren't telling it to me like, this was bad. They were telling to me like it was really cool. <laughs> and I totally surprised myself. I don't know where this came from. I was like, that's not cool. Do you know what could have happened? And then I, I mean, I, I sounded just like my father. You know, and my wife pulls me aside afterwards. She goes, wow. She goes, you're really maturing. <laughs> But see, that, that's, that's part of that process, okay? So, you know, the things that, that you know, when I was a youngster, uh, which are getting further away, uh, and you know how this works, you know, just don't seem to hold the type of uh, importance that they used to, or the glamour, or the desire. And, and, and so, you know, as you grow in, in sanctification, thanks be to God for His work through that, you now desire to do different things. Okay, you know, um, I never imagined, uh, you know, that I would keep, for example, loving my wife more each year. I didn't think that was possible. You know, when we got married back in 1996, you know, uh, the, 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 I mean, I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be committed, but I was not prepared for the type of love and devotion that would continue to build on that. Okay. Um, and so for, for those of you that, that have been married and, and, and worked through marriages, you can, you can relate to that in some ways. And I think it's the same way with your kids, okay? Um, they're really annoying for a while. Um, and, and hopefully they grow up. No. <laughs> anyway, okay. Any questions or comments on that? So there is this process of, of, of developing now, um, I mean, and good works and training and righteousness and, and we should not be afraid to talk about that, okay? Uh, late service people, pay attention to some of the hymns that we're going to sing today. Great texts uh, that, uh, that, that our musicians uh, have worked with today. Um, and, and early service people, go back and look through those with your hymnal at home. Um, and and you'll, you'll see this theme, okay? Nothing? Let's move on. So clearing the surface of a new of a few outward vices is one thing. Getting rid of their poisoned root and source is quite another. So the inspired apostolic words therefore apply without exception to all Christians. And let's read it together. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So sin is always there. And Jesus says this. It's always crouching at your door. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. While you live this side of heaven, that's the reality. 
and you cannot escape it. Which is why, you know, what a blessing when the Lord brings it is a, is a Christian death. A Christian death is a good thing. Asleep in Jesus, blessed sleep. Now we tend to say that more when people get older and not so much when they're younger. But to be fair, it's true for everyone. Okay? It's a rest from labors, um, and it is uh, a, a really a joyous passing into what's yet to come. Indeed, those who in the judgment of their fellow Christians have reached the highest levels of sanctification have invariably had the deepest awareness of their sinfulness, have invariably had the deepest awareness of their sinfulness and helplessness before God. So as you grow in that sanctification, um, you will recognize and desire the greater gifts, right? So this is why, you know, uh, Jesus chides Martha. He doesn't chide Martha you know, Martha, Martha, Martha. He doesn't chide Martha for just doing the work because the work needs to be done, okay? Um, he sees a maturity in Mary that Martha's really not there yet. Mary desires the greater gifts. You see that? So, and, and that's kind of where you get to a point where even going to church on Sunday or, you know, praying with your spouse or your family Things that you may not have done before, they're just more important to you. And so you do whatever you can, um, you know, to do that. Not because you're under the law. You want to go to church. You want to hear God's Word, right? So my wife and our three younger boys are down in Branson right now. This, this week, or starting Friday until this, this next Friday, uh, is kind of like, the, the, uh, like the Kramer week down at the cabin, uh, uh, my, my wife's family's always gotten together for the 23 years we've been married uh, and before that. Uh, and uh, usually it's, it's kind of like convention. Every third year it's someplace big. Uh, and then the years in between, we're normally down in Branson at condos. Uh, and so this morning, I can tell you for a fact that, um, you know, she drug our three boys to church at Kimberlin City, good, good faithful congregation down there. Um, and out of, you know, 20, 25 people that are all staying in, in, you know, two condos next to each other, they're the only ones that went to church. Now, we should not say that to throw stones at the rest of the family. They're all Christians. They all belong to a church somewhere. But the simple, the simple question would be this. What does my wife desire for her children? What is she trying to model to them and teach them? And what do they need because they are poor little rugrat sinners, <laughs> right? They, they need that absolution, okay? Now, I'm not saying that it's, 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 you, know, it's uh, you know, a big grievous sin for you to miss church and that sort of thing. I would just simply ask this question, what do you desire? And so when you talk about your priorities in life, what do you desire? And then simply ask yourself this question, is this the old Adam in me that desires this or the new Adam? And they're going to fight it out, and one of them is going to win. It's kind of like the old, I love the old Looney Tunes uh, cartoons. They don't really have them on anymore. I mean, we, wa we watched them on black and white TV because that's all we had when we were little. We got a color TV. I was like, wow, look at the color, <laughs> right? Uh, but, you, but you remember the little, the little devil that would sit? Uh, and I think it was, wasn't it uh, Sylvester the Putty Tat? And had the, had, the, had the little Sylvester devil on his left shoulder and the little angel one on his right. Maybe I have the shoulders mixed around, mixed around but the one would be talking in his ear, you know, go eat that bird, <laughs> right? 
And the other one's like, don't eat that bird. You know, be nice to that little bird, you know, and that sort of thing. So you've got the same thing. The Holy Spirit's talking in one ear. You've got the new Adam now, and you've got your old sinful nature, plus the devil, plus the world, right? So the devil, the world, and your sinful nature, you know, is always there, okay? So that's part of the challenge. Comments, questions on that? Yeah, so you can learn theology from cartoons. It's possible, okay. Uh, The closer they seemed to God, the farther they knew themselves to be, and the more fervently they grasped the lifeline of his absolution. We talked a little bit about St. Augustine, um, died with a penitential psalm on his lips. Actually, as I said last week, he had psalms written out, all the penitential psalms, like Psalm 151. He had them written on pieces of paper and posted around his bed on the walls. Uh, that he could read or have people read to him when they would come to visit him. Uh, Same thing with Luther, scribbled on a piece of paper found after his death, we are beggars, that is true. Um, So meaning that, you know, um, all we can do is ask and in faith trust that that God gives. In other words, we never outgrow in this life the need for justification. Okay, so forgiveness is not an early immature stage of spiritual life from which we later graduate into pure sanctification. No, justification remains the life-giving sunshine, the bright sky of God's mercy and grace, beneath which alone our whole existence can and must be lived out. It is only in this sunshine that the blessed fruit of divine love can take shape and grow in us. And let's read 1 John 4, 19 together. We love because he first loved us, right? So any love that we have, whether it's for a spouse, for our children, for a neighbor, comes first from God. As a Christian, that's where it originates. Same thing, mind you, when it comes to you forgiving your neighbor that sinned against you. It's not your forgiveness, just like it's not your love. So make sure you put love and forgiveness together, okay? And that can be a really tough thing to do because your sinful nature is going to get in the way and said, my forgiveness, my love is contingent upon my understanding, or as I like to call it, my okie-dokiness, you know, with what this you-know-what did to me. He did, not really you, but you know what I mean, okay? But I mean, that's where we go as sinners, okay? So love is something uh, more basic. Gratitude is a conscious indebtedness, but without love, indebtedness can easily turn into resentment and worse. Unlike gratitude, love does not arise from any sort of calculation. Children do not learn to love their mothers by counting the number of meals prepared, clothes mended, and the like, and then measuring out their affection accordingly, right? So if you've got kids, you know, you, you know, you probably check their devices occasionally, right? You know, do you find Excel spreadsheets or a Google sheet that documents how often mom or dad has done something for them and then what they're going to do to reciprocate. That'd be really cool if you found something like that, right? You don't. And any of you youth that are here today, do you do that? Do you keep track of all the good things that your parents do for you? Do you? No. You expect that mom and dad are going to take care of you, right? Why? Because you know they love you. Okay? So that's all part of the, that's all part of the good works. Okay? Questions, comments there? They love without any conscious reason simply because they were loved long before they could know it. So that's part of training up a child in the way he should go. And I would say just, just training up a Christian in general um, or you know, training whatever, family, congregation, you name it. Just so the Heavenly Father in our new birth or conversion embraces us in his love, 
from which he kindles our little responding loves with supernatural naturalness and spontaneity. I love that, that last little sentence there. I can almost hear Marquardt. If you ever heard him speak, you can kind of hear his voice just a little bit there. Um, and I'm not even going to attempt to do an imitation of him. But he goes on here, of course, as we've already seen, the spontaneous outpouring of love and good works from faith does not mean the absence of effort and struggle. And I, and I highlighted and starred that here in my book. Because some people would just say this, okay, I hear the law, and now I'm just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to, boom, you know, hit me with, I'm going to want to do this. No, you still got the sinner there working on you, okay? Now, you might at some point have more of a desire and inclination, um, but that's where the third use of the law is so important. We're going to get into that in the next chapter, okay? We, we've, uh, Monty, we've, we've talked a little bit about that because he's naturally been preparing us to kind of think that way, okay? Um, so one more time, the spontaneous outpouring of love and good works from faith does not mean the absence of effort and struggle. So there is effort there. And if you are a parent or have been a parent, you know about that effort. If you are married and have been married, you know about the struggle. And I would just simply say this, uh, if you're maturing into young adulthood, one of the first things you learn about is the struggle. The struggle of perhaps having to pay your own bills, the struggle of having to not have mom or dad on top of you to make sure you're doing your assignments or getting to work on time. I mean, you just got all these other things that are there. Okay. Such a choice of words, oh wait, I missed it. Sometimes one hears it said that good works follow automatically upon justifying faith. And I'm going to make an admission to you. I used to be this guy. Okay, I came out of seminary kind of an antinomian, just all about the gospel. Oh, I tell you Jesus died for you, but I wasn't really good about telling you and encouraging you and admonishing you to do good works because I felt that was, you know, getting in the way of the gospel. But you need both. It's got to be a balance, okay? Um, so if you're struggling with that, I mean, let's, let's sit down and study scripture together in our Lutheran confessions and make sure we wrap our hands around it. So such a choice of words, Marquardt says, is unfortunate, for it suggests machines, not organisms, right? So you're an organism. God has created you. Fearfully and wonderfully you are made, uh, and he saved you by grace through faith, and we'll get into that here as we close this chapter, uh, for a good reason. So sanctification as a life process is organic, and you can look at John 15 on your own this week if you want, rather than mechanical. And here the plant analogy breaks down as well. For Christians, they're not imagine that if only they will believe, then no great efforts at doing works need to follow, right? Well, I believe in Jesus. Because I have faith, I can do fill in the blank. I can live with whoever I want. I can play house. I can do, I mean, just, just fill in the blank, right? And then the phrase free in the gospel becomes really misunderstood. <laughs> Are you picking this up? I mean, there is freedom. There's no question of that. But, but what? Say it, Tammy. You're nodding your head. Nothing? All right. Okay. Yeah, nothing. nothing. <laughs> but what? Thank you. That's well said. The law is still the law, right? You might go out and, and uh, maybe you're having a midlife crisis and, uh, you know, you, you buy a sports car because you always wanted a really fast car. 
okay? And this isn't just for guys. I've met some girls, some uh, middle-aged women that have gotten fast cars too. Um, and uh, so just because you have a fast car, does that, does that give you the right to disobey the speed limit? Um, fill in the blank, wherever you want. Does it? Just because you have the ability to do it now, the means to do that, okay? Um, or to recklessly lay rubber at every stoplight and, and strike fear in the eyes of the dog walkers and the bicyclers. And I mean, it doesn't, right? So, so it's, it's, it's responsible freedom is what I would say. And I would also say this, it's the same thing with being an American citizen, right? We have freedom, but that freedom also needs to be used and understood responsibly. Is that fair? Okay, I won't go any further than that. All right. All right, let's finish up here. We're almost out of time. So rather, it is God who works in you. Let's read that together. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, and this new will seeks ever to serve and please him more and more. It is prepared to go through, let's read that, go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Our otherwise self-indulgent materialistic age has some appreciation for physical fitness and discipline. Should it not be obvious that spiritual discipline is infinitely more valuable? What do you think? What's more important, physical or spiritual? Spiritual. I would say they're both important, right? Uh, it's important to you know, take care of your body. Your body is, after all, the temple of the Holy Spirit, but ultimately, spiritual is the most important. Okay. Um, no one has surpassed St. Paul in his passionate exclusion of all good works from justification, and yet no one has insisted more pointedly that good works must follow. The two themes thus uh, are joined together like this by the great apostle of grace, and let's read that together to close. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Please stand. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.